7.07, prepare yourselves. It's time for Iron Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. Huge show on tap for you tonight. So much to get to. Ira, this is the time of the year that I absolutely love. NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, baseball just started, the NFL draft is on Thursday. This is the time, if you're a sportsman, you've got to be super excited, right, I? Totally. This is it. Right now, I love the playoffs every night. There's games on every single night for the NHL, NBA. It's just amazing. We're going to talk a ton of NBA playoffs in just a little bit. NHL as well. NFL draft coverage. We've got our draft prep ready to go for you here on Iron Sports Plus. We've got a very special interview coming up in just about seven minutes. It's Francois TFO. You think this might be the next superstar American athlete? Uh, well, the next superstar American athlete and the number one tennis player in the world. He's going to be very. He's an amazing guy. He has had an amazing career. He's 20 years old, and he's starting now going to Wimbledon, French Open, U.S. Open. Wait for the season. When he comes back in the fall, he's going to be in the top 10 in the world, and everyone's going to be talking about him. Only 20 years old. It's absolutely amazing. I can't wait to have him on Iron Sports right about 7.15. Mike and Sean, we got you covered as well. We weren't here last week. We're very happy to be back with you, though, this week. Ira... Where you been? I know you've probably been in South Florida a decent amount. I was at the games Thursday and Saturday. Oh, amazing. The Heat <laughs> Sixers was well worth going to, being there, watching it. Absolutely amazing. We left. I went off the show on Monday, watched. I said, Wade's going to have a big game. He did. Mm-hmm. Tied the series 1-1. And then the, and then the Heat go at home with the Sixers tied 1-1, and they lose two games. It's unbelievable. What do you think about – it was a tale of two games for the Heat, I feel like, you know, you'd said Saturday was uh, just a slugfest. I mean, they were going after each other. Maybe not so much, though, on Thursday, but a lot of fouls across both of these games. Tell us what your takeaways from uh, the past week of Heat. 56 total fouls on Thursday, 57 total fouls on Saturday. Uh, Embiid finally said, I got to come back and play. When he saw it was 1-1, he's playing. He has a mask on. His mask is falling off. It's <laughs> breaking. People are kicking the mask. The intensity, but so that everyone's playing with. And the amazing thing about the Sixers is the first time I've seen Ben Simmons up close, he's Magic Johnson. He really is. He, yeah. he Everyone says he needs his jump shot he'll get his jump shot but he when he drives to the basket can score anytime his passing is amazing his defense is amazing and on Saturday when Embiid got flustered was missing shots making poor plays Simmons stayed composed what was so exciting about Saturday was seeing Wade score and Simmons score Wade score Simmons score back and forth old and young it was just amazing it was like the changing of the guard and you know we, we talked about uh, before we went on air here on I run sports Ira, you think that this kid may be where the East goes through, you know, for the next decade or so, especially with LeBron, you know, only what, four years left, maybe? Well, also, I, this first time I saw Darius Sarek play up close, too. Mm-hmm. And Sarek is amazing himself from Croatia. 21 points on Thursday, four from seventh and threes. He plays hard. The one thing they have is that they have Sarek from Croatia, Bellinelli from Italy, El Sova from Turkey, these European or foreign international players. The games are now tough. There are people yeah. who are pushing and shoving. They're used to that in, in, in international be overseas, play. Yes. And, def- and they're coming back and they're used to that. And also, they're shooting well. So you have these international players playing tough basketball, shooting well. And you're seeing throughout the whole tournament, uh, the, the NBA playoffs, all these international players playing so great. But especially with the Sixers, along with Simmons and Embiid, and then those players, it's amazing. It's funny to think about how things have changed. I mean, we've always had the Tony Parkers and Manu Ginobili's of the world. But I feel like there was a decade where every international player was a flop. I mean, you were taking guys super early. Knicks took Frederick Weiss one year. I never even touched, <laughs> touched the hardwood. Things have changed. These international players are huge. And I think it's from what you're saying, Ira. They're playing in professional leagues at 18 over in Turkey or, or, or you know Spain, wherever it is. They're playing with adult men. 
and they come over here to America and they're ready to go. Whereas you know the college game is just not the same as what you're going to see in a professional league in Europe. And it's also the AAU game. It's more run up and down, shoots and threes. We're now in the playoffs, and suddenly the refs are calling. They're calling fouls. It's more intense. They're letting as much as many fouls as they're calling. It's still a very intense game. They're used to it. I think some American players right now aren't used to this intensity. Mm -hmm. It's being ratcheted up. So. Yeah, and and I'll agree with that, and I'll touch on that point. You know, if we go back to the '90s when it was, you know, the Bulls and and the Pacers and the Knicks, and it was it was hard nosed basketball, real tough fouls, um, and the European game was more of a finesse game. Yeah. Um, now the NBA is more finesse, fast pace, open it up, run and gun. Uh, where Europe uh, is definitely a lot more physical. So you have these guys coming over, um, and just the attitudes that they carry as well. Um, you know, they feel like every time they step on the floor, they got to go out and earn it. It's one of those things, like you said, when you play in the, the NCAA, these guys have been coddled their entire life, whereas a lot of these other guys are just going to be popped right in, um, you know, right into the, the fire at 18 or 17 in a professional league halfway across the country. Let's get into it, though. We've got a very special interview on the line. 712, Iron Sports, 95.9, the true oldies channel. Mike and Sean here as well. On the line, Francois TFO, ranked number 49 in the world at tennis at just 20 years old. Francois, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Francois, this is Ira. Um, it's just a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, I saw you uh, this past year in Delray, and I saw you in Miami, and uh, truly, this is just an honor. I mean, you at 15, you won the Orange Bowl tournament, the youngest ever. 17, you were the youngest since uh, Michael Chang to play in the French Open. Uh, your, the Delray tournament was your breakout in terms of winning a tournament, and now you're headed over to Europe for the whole European Ooh. season. Tell me about, talk to me about, a little about your background, when, how you came here in terms of growing up in a tennis academy uh, with your father working there, uh, actually sleeping in the tennis academy and playing tennis. Your, your background, your backstory is just amazing. Yeah, it was quite wild. Um, yeah, you know, pretty much, you know, my dad was a, you know, me helped uh, build the academy here in Maryland and, you know, once it was built in 99, he, he asked the CEO at the time, Martin Blackman, okay, if my twins can come after school and, and you know, go against the wall and, and stuff like this. And they said, they said yeah, no problem. You know, a couple of years fast forward, um, you know, he asked, can can my kids be in, in the in the after-school programs? Again, Martin said, yeah, of course, no, no problem. Um, and, then, you, know, you know, quickly I, I started to get the hang of it, started to, Get a coach and help me tremendously. Mishu Kuznetsov for a good nine years, and then, uh, and then, yeah, you know, and then after that, the USTA started, you know, finding interest in me when I was about, you know, eleven and uh, eleven, twelve, and um, yeah, you know, things definitely escalated quite quickly. Um, really happy about everything I've been doing. Well, in terms of American tennis, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the whole background. I mean, there hasn't been an American win the Grand Slam since 2003 with Andy Roddick. I mean, I grew up in the age, I'm much older than you, where Connors <laughs> won eight, McEnroe won seven titles, Sampras 14, Agassi eight. I mean, there were tens of millions of people watching tennis, um, driven by the American being so, being so excited and enthusiastic in terms of watching American tennis. I've, I've heard your interviews. I mean, you think you can be that guy. You can be the next great American. And, and I think that's great that you're embracing that challenge. But in terms of what, what do you see from the American tennis scene and what, how, what changes you, you know, what are you going to see for your future? I think, I think my future is pretty bright. I'm really starting to get the hang of it. I'm really starting to really understand what makes you tick day in, day out. Really understanding, you know, that I got to bring it, 
you know, on and off the court. Uh, everything I do is gonna. Uh, I need to do it to help myself uh, grow grow in tennis and um, getting mature. I'm taking care of the details and and I really think uh, this year is gonna be a really good year. Uh, it already has been. I'm just gonna ride the wave. Um, last year you played uh, Roger Federer in the Miami Open, and then you played him against in the U.S. Open. What was it like? You know, playing Federer, but not just playing him, but taking him to five sets on the main stage at the U.S. Open and in Miami. I mean, what was it? What was the excitement in terms of you're out there as a 19-year-old battling him? And people, I thought at one point you were going to win the match. It was such an exciting match. Tell me about playing uh, someone like Federer in that setting. Yeah, I think it was great. I played him in Miami going into that match at the Open. Um, you know, feeling in Miami, even though it was six and four, I thought I, you know, I thought I, you know, very, very much in that match. So. You know, going to the match of the Open, I really thought I could win. I wanted to go in there. My mindset pretty much going there was like, do something crazy. You know, it was the last time he's lost on this court, you know, especially in the first round. And um, so, you know, I was, I mean, I, I was feeling pretty loose. Obviously, I had nothing to lose. And <laughs> I kind of went out there swinging, playing big. And when I'm playing aggressive, and you know, I mean, I compete for every point, so I'm never really a tough, you know, tough out, I would say. And um, yeah, you know, I mean, I got confidence I can beat anyone. So, you know, you walk on the court and you already have that chip on your shoulder. So this year you're at Delray and I love that tournament. I mean, it's a, I'm glad you won it because now you're going to keep playing in it because it's just a great <laughs> tournament. It's awesome to go down there. It's easy to get in. I think it's an amazing environment, but you have to play Juan Martin Del Porto, who was your idol. Explain how it's your idol. I think he gave you your first autograph, right? I think that's what it said, but you had to play him, beat him, and then just win. It's amazing. You had to play two matches in a day because it was a rain delay. You, you had to win with like no sleep at all. It was an amazing run you had through that tournament at Delray. Yeah, it, it was unbelievable. Uh, I wasn't expecting it at all, uh, especially the way I started the year. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I had a great preparation at home in D.C. before. You know, I was really, really had to recharge the batteries and, and be home, be around family, friends, and recuperate and going into that match. I really, you know, he beat me early that year in Australia, so I was pretty hungry. And then, um, you know, we, we, just, we just went to war, and I was lucky to lucky enough to clip him and then uh that that gave me a ton of confidence that went alone he's my hero growing up so that <laughs> went alone uh meant the world to me um john isner said i mean the the one skill he said he goes you returned his serve better than anyone except Djokovic. is that true i mean i mean is that i mean <laughs> certainly that's a great skill to have because that, that, it seems like that's what the star players have is the great be able to break other people's serve and if isner's saying that's you that's a high that's a pretty big compliment <laughs> Oh uh, man, I mean, I, geez, I mean, that's 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 ballsy of him saying that, even though he's beating me twice. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I played him at the Open. I was seeing it serve, you know, like a like a great fruit. I was seeing it so big. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't know what to say. I mean, you know, I've seen him play a bunch. You know, obviously, he's been our top American for so long, and you know, I knew his tendencies, and you know. I was definitely, you know, pretty much really on it. So, um, yeah, I guess, I, I guess so. If he says mm-hmm. that, I guess he And what's and what separates the Federers, the Nadal's, the Djokovic's? What makes what? How are they? What What is the difference? And I mean, I think you have to analyze that because you want to get at that level. But what makes them different than the other hundreds of people out there on the tour? Well, Ralph is just a dog. I mean, he can just, <laughs> he's a bull. He can just. I mean, he'll just bully you all day. Uh, he's so physical each and every point, and I mean what he does. I mean, you, you, you can. You, there's no rocket science. You know, I mean, you can you can figure that out. 
Uh, I mean, Federer is just, and you never seen a guy take the ball that early. He's so he's so efficient with with his feet and taking the ball early and 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 just always looking to attack. Um, you know, you know, uh, Novak's one of the best movers. Andy's one of the best movers. I mean, every, all all those guys. It's, it's all completely different what they do, how they attack each and every opponent, whether it whether it's movement, whether it's you know aggression, whether um, it's any of those things. Um, but yeah, all of them have the it factor, and at the end of the day, they're, they're, they're mentally you know stronger than anyone. They can sustain a high level for for you know consecutive hours and consecutive days and consecutive weeks, and um, you know they they they're I mean they they work and they do it to a T. So. Um, I mean, that's pretty much why they're there, and everyone's trying to get to that level. Um, this is Ira from Iron Sports. We're talking to Francois TFO uh, on 95.9, 105.9. Uh, just a couple more questions. Um, what's your average day of training, like in terms of the, the shape that you have to be in to play these tournaments, especially the Grand Slams when you're out there for hours in the heat? Um, I saw some videos of you, and it's, it's amazing. But just give the listeners just an insight in terms of what you do to be in this type. Because not only are you in great shape, but you have to execute in these perfect shots. I mean, you watch golfers golf, and they're walking, and they have time. But you don't really have time. You have to make a great shot after another great shot, and you're tired, and you're running around, and the point's being played for in hot temperatures. Yeah, I mean it's. I mean for me, um, I've been kind of trying to do my my tennis and gym in like in like a three out of five setting. So, um, you know, I've been coming coming in coming into the gym about eight thirty, warming up. You know, doing gym for about an hour from nine to ten, then from ten fifteen about twelve fifteen, twelve thirty, I'll go and practice. And I just you know try to try to. Really, I mean now it's play coaching. You know, really try to kill the legs, do a lot of running, do a lot of miles, you know, a lot of a lot of leg work, um, and then when I'm practicing, do a lot of movement drills, and uh, you know, just well, you know, throwing lines and stuff like that, and just to you know, just kill kill my body, which I to keep the intensity as high as I can for executive minutes, and take a little break and, and, and do it again. So, so yeah, and then obviously the little things I I think I need to work on, but those, those are that's a gift to it. Wow. Um, talking about in terms of uh, of sports, I, I know that you're a big NBA fan, and so you're headed to Europe in a, a couple of days. Uh, are you going to miss the playoffs? I mean, are you? I mean, the Wizards certainly came back from 2-0 a deficit to tie 2-2 last night. Uh, are you going to Are you going to be able to try to get some of the the NBA playoffs when you're over in Europe for the next few months? Well, yeah. I mean, luckily, I went to two this week. Um, I went to the game game three and game four. I had to make sure we had. To- Make sure we tied that. Um, I, yeah, I'm a Masters fan. Um, I think I think it's going to be a good year. We're, we're a dark horse. I mean, we lost John Wall for six to eight weeks. <laughs> so I think you know now with him back in, um, I think we can definitely make the upset. You know, Toronto, if, if Pat has any indication, he always choke, they, they always choke in the playoffs. So uh, and 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 with, and with LeBron's team, with the, the Cavs not looking so so dangerous, um, I think the East is pretty open right now. <laughs> that's good and I and, and I mentioned where you're you you met Dur- Kevin Durant because he's from your around your area so uh have you ever met him and talked to him and in, in terms of what insight has he given you about your tennis career no I've never really met him I've only, I've only met the uh the, the roster well I met the players basically I've met with Paul Pierce and Paul Pierce is in in uh playing playing for DC um I would love to. I would love to meet Durant. Um, obviously, him growing up in my area and him doing his thing. I think he's such an icon. Uh, he's one of the best players in the league, hands down. And 
um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, that's definitely him. Him and Oladipo, because Oladipo's around this area as well. So uh, those will be two guys I definitely want to meet in the near future. And just one fi- final question, Francois, is that I noticed at Delray, you stayed and signed autographs for everybody. Uh, you had probably the most best personality. You were talking to, not just signing the autographs, you were talking to the young kids. Um, what do you view yourself as more just as it's along with being a great tennis player, but also just spreading tennis to people and getting young people to play tennis. Talk about that mission of yours. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't really play. I'm trying to do it. It's just me. Uh, I came from the beginning. You know, I remember being that kid, you know, wanting to, you know, achieve X, Y, and Z, wanting to, you know, put on the big stage and have that as a big aspiration. You can see those in those kids' eyes, you know, that how you know them looking up to me means the world. So, you know, I take it as a massive privilege. And um, but just yeah, you know, they, they're obviously there for a reason. They obviously want, want my time, want my attention. So I'll, I'll, I'll definitely give it to them. And I know one autograph goes a long way. And um, you know, I think that that all. Is, is extremely important because um, I, I want the same thing probably. That's great. Well, Francois, thank you so much for being on Iron Sports ninety five nine one hundred five point nine, and good luck. What, when's your what's your first tournament in Europe that you play? Uh, what's what's the first tournament? Uh, Esther two fifty in Portugal. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to be following you for the next few months. Absolutely. Good luck, and hopefully, when you come back for the August season, we can get you on again, and you probably have some nice runs in some tournaments. But thank you again for being on Iron Sports. Appreciate you guys. Thanks. 7.24. This is Iron Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean here as well. Uh, we are scoreless in Minnesota and New York Yankees. Also, Cleveland and Baltimore, both in the bottom of the first. Uh, Boston and Toronto in the NHL playoffs have started. They're about halfway through the first period. Scoreless there as well. Are right, you want to step back to Heat and Sixers? Or you want to get right into the NBA? Um, we, we can we can just we can follow for the Heat a little bit more. Well, you know, these are some good games. I feel like the Heat are such an up and down team. Like some some nights they look so good, and some series they look so good. Other times, I I don't know what to expect from this team. I mean, you have Hassan Whiteside do absolutely nothing, you know, in Game Three, and then what do you have? Usually thirteen and thirteen uh, on Saturday. It's like I really just don't know what I'm getting from this Heat team night to night. On Thursday night, they were down by two going into the fourth quarter, and then they were outscored 32-14. to 14. <laughs> So it's good. like they were in that game, and then mm. Thursday, and then Saturday they come back, and then they're in there. They were, the, the whole fourth quarter was neck and neck the entire time, and again, they weren't unable to hold the lead in the fourth quarter. Sean, what about, I mean, I know you, you follow the Heat a lot, but I know you love this young 76ers team. Are you giving the Heat a shot here? I don't think so. I think with Embiid coming back, I mean, when you just look at the matchup, um, you know, you had you had first acts. What's your biggest takeaway? And and Ben Simmons is the future. He's arrived. He's the now. He's the president. Uh, he's the he's the present. I know Embiid is kind of the star, maybe the face of the team because he puts himself out there yeah. more more than uh, Simmons, where Simmons is more of a quiet guy, where Embiid's the the jokester. Let's say the Shaq and Kobe almost fighting with porn stars uh, on Twitter. Exactly, but but. The Sixers team is going to go as far as Simmons is going to take him. Even when Embiid went down, I mean, they won, I think, like 11 of the last 14 or, or something like that. So it wasn't like, you know, they, they completely flopped once Embiid left. Um, biggest thing that I take away, too, is I love what we're seeing in Ben Simmons coming off that uh, – setting a screen against Dwayne Wade and putting him on his back, throwing his shoulder to him. I mean, this is, this is one of the best basketball players of all time, and Simmons has mm-hmm. no problem going after him. Um, being more vocal, showing that, hey, I'm the guy, this is my time, I'm 
them taking over, and that's what we're seeing in this series. And I don't think the Heat stand a chance. Uh, Mike, you brought up a good point in, in terms of Whiteside. Um, you know, kind of disappears. Well, that's what's going to happen in the mold of today's NBA, where you have a yeah. seven footer in Embiid who can pop out and hit a three, hit a fifteen foot jump shot. Where Hassan Whiteside's like, hey, why are you in the paint? And let's bang. Um, so, so pulling him out, it kind of makes him useless uh, in terms of his interior defense. Uh, with when that's what makes the Sixers so dangerous moving forward. Ira, one of the things that concerns me um, is between Whiteside and Jay Rich, this is like 40% of your payroll, and they don't even have these guys out in the final minutes of the game. You know, I, I can't see the Heat having a, a winning formula when you have a max contract guy in Whiteside that you don't trust down the stretch, I. Well, it's, it's the problem with their contract. I mean, that... You know, it's, it's real interesting. Everyone talks about the process. And the process was <laughs> that the Sixers in 2012, 2013 had 34 wins. And then they say, if I hired a general manager named Sam, Sam Hinkie, and he said, we're just going to lose on purpose. For the next three years, they went 19 wins, 18 wins, and 10 wins. They, that was the first year of the process. LeBron was the last title for was the last time they went to the finals, mm-hmm. and they had 54 wins. Since then, the Heat have battled, battled, battled. They've tried to hang in there, uh, 37 wins um, and 44 wins. But they've sort of been in that 44 to 45 um, with the wins. And they haven't been able then to uh, go up to the next level in terms of it would have been better just to maybe lose and get these star players. And in terms of the white side signing, I just want to go touch on that. I mean, he was the only thing that they had that was creating any sort of excitement. They had all this money. They were looking to bring in Kevin Durant. um, So they needed another marquee player that they could match up with. And the early stages of Whiteside were, okay, this guy can score 20 points and get 10 blocks a game. Um, You know, so, so when they gave him the money, not saying he deserved it, but they had to keep him to attract these other free agents. And we know how that's played out where they, they haven't been able to bring uh, pretty much anybody in besides. Besides uh, uh, Dion Waters and um, and Dragic, yeah, which I, I think was from a, a trade anyway. It, it's funny how that works, and yeah, the, like the contracts are out of control. Wasn't Mike Conley the highest paid player in the league for like twenty minutes? You know, just based <laughs> off how contracts are, are going. You're right, though. Whiteside was one of these guys. They were kind of handcuffed with. Yeah, they, they there's no, no other option. Yeah. But now the NBA in three years has changed so drastically. Hassan Whiteside is not an effective player at the end of games. At least against teams like this, they're going to spread it out and, and shoot the ball. I mean, he doesn't have a movable contract, Ira. Like, what, what's the what's the plan here going forward? You think for the Heat if they don't win the series? Well, the plan would have been to have win this series because it's always. <laughs> what the Sixers are upending. It's sort of like they Sixers were going to put a good. The Sixers were probably now ahead, a year ahead of where they probably should have been. Where like, oh, they'll lose the first round of the playoffs. They didn't make the playoffs last year at all. So you're waiting for them to step. Then the next step, maybe get to the conference finals. Next step, get to the NBA finals. Just sort of even how the Bulls did it with Jordan. Mm-hmm. They didn't just Michael Jordan didn't come to the league and just start winning titles. And un- amazingly, they're now better than the Heat, and the Heat are now stuck with these contracts and. That's why they have to somehow win three in a row. Otherwise, because they're they're in they have a worse contract situation and uh, cap situation than the Sixers do. It's interesting that, that you that you bring that up, though. Yeah, the, the contracts. You're, you have an interesting analysis, uh, analogy for uh, the NFL draft coming up in just a little bit when we do our NFL draft preview, talking about these finances and how they really really affect your team's 
um, level of success going forward, whether you're handicapped or not. 7.30, I run sports, 95.9, true oldies channel, Mike and Sean, gotcha as well. We want to hear from you, 877-960-9960, 877-960-9960. Miami Heat, do they have what it takes to come back and win this series? Let's move on, Ira, to what everybody's talking about. It's LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. This is a weird series to me, and I didn't come out thinking, oh my God, Oladipo's going to blow the doors off the Cavs, even though the Pacers are probably a better team, just you know, top to bottom. It's tied 2-2, Ira. What's your takeaway so far on the best player in the league playing against the Pacers? Well, it's another international player is playing great, emerging. Bogdanovich has, uh, in game three, when the Pacers went up 2-1, had 30 points, 11 for 15 shooting, 7 for 9 from threes, and guarded LeBron very well, which was shocking to everyone. Um, Oladipo, after that first game when he scored all the points, got a lot of credit for what the success of what the Pacers are doing. But he's had two really bad games. The last two games have been poor, and mm-hmm. but still the Pacers were able to win one of them. Yeah. Um, so the Pacers are more than Oladipo, and I just think when I look at you know, LeBron knows what he has to do. He played 46 minutes last night. So they, LeBron <laughs> knows what is required, that he has to stay in there, that he has to play, and he has to find somebody who else can score. Out of nowhere, Kyle Korver hits three threes. Yeah. It looks like he couldn't miss there at the end of the game. And that's what saved them. And I think that, yeah. that I do like the fact that the Cavaliers have a lot of players. They go 10 deep. They just got to find out which players are hot that night and then leave them in the game. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Pacers did have a chance to win that game, though. I believe they were up three with about four minutes left and you know going to the line. So this was like a game that... You play that right, and you can win that game. But then there's a Lebr- the LeBron James factor. Sean, I know you're high on the Pacers as a, as a team. What do you think is going to happen the rest of the series? I, I definitely think the Cavs will prevail only because LeBron James is LeBron James. But I think what this series is really showing us is, one, the Cavs will not represent the East in the finals this year. I think we could pretty much write that down. If you're struggling with a young um a young, I can budding Indiana Pacer team. Uh, and I know Oladipo is, is borderline superstar. He's young, um, but this is a great platform for him to come out, um, especially the way he's battled in the in the few wins that they've had. Um, but even when you go down this roster, it's not only them not going to the finals. It's that if this roster stays intact, there is no way LeBron James is signing up to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, LeBron James wants to be in Cleveland. He doesn't want the backlash of leaving again. But with this roster, when you have, you know, a make or break game and your second best player, Kevin Love, gives you 29 minutes and five points, I mean, that's not good enough. When you have Kyle Korver, who's 105 years old, and he's the second <laughs> leading scorer with 18 points, um, and only because he's, he's hitting this the struggle. This is the worst the roster ball. they've had in a decade. It, yeah, in, in a very long had, time. So, so that's the thing is, is this is what it's more, it's more foreshadowing of them not going to the finals and. I don't think LeBron is going to stay now in Cleveland because the moves that they made, bringing in Nance, bringing in uh, Clarkson, bringing in Hood, have not worked out. No, they haven't. We do, we do have some scores going on right now. Cleveland is on top of Baltimore. We had a Yonder Alonzo home run to center. And uh, my New York Yankees taking the lead as well. Gary Sanchez d- double deep to center. San- uh, Stanton and Gardner score there. Ira, let's move on to Boston and Milwaukee. This one's tied 2-2. You were saying before we went on, uh, went on air... How is Boston an eight seed? I mean, how is Milwaukee an eight seed? These these guys are a pretty good team. Maybe because they're young. I mean, but how do you see the rest of this series going? I I love Milwaukee's playing. I I think that they they don't pass the ball as well as Utah and some of the other teams. 
But Boston was very lucky. They got off that 2-0 lead, but but then they lost. Then Milwaukee held serve and held their two games at home. Adetpenko is tremendous. I mean, after watching, you see Milwaukee play a game here and a game there. I don't sit down and watch. Now I've seen four straight games. He is just, he is smooth. He's athletic. He can shoot. He can rebound. He holds the ball. Very much like Ben Simmons, a very similar player to him, um, but just an amazing player. But Chris Middleton was draining threes all over the place. He was 8 for 14 and 3 for 5 from threes uh, yesterday and tremendous. And then Eric Bledsoe, who's a max contract player they got from Phoenix, has struggled this series, but he can have some great plays. Brogdon was the rookie of the year last year, yep. and Thon Maker come out of nowhere blocking shots. This is an amazing stat. Boston, they had 14 blocks on on uh, on Sunday and 12 on Friday in a game. Usually an NBA game, you have three, four blocks. Mm. They had 14 and 12 on Boston's team. They are they they can win this series. I mean, they're yeah. this they're as being that's just amazing. I should correct myself. Two seed, not, two not the one seed. seed. Yeah. Um, listen, I love a good upset, and I want to see it happen. I've never been a fan of the Celtics. Sean, what about you? Giving Milwaukee a shot here? Oh, yeah, and I, I think this is it. Um, and here, let's let's foreshadow even more. Um, with this team, the way they're playing, Jabari Parker coming off the bench uh, for 16. Thonmaker, who's going to be that high-energy guy, can give you some defense. Even Della Vadova. I mean, we saw him when he was with the Cavs. He was thrust in when Kyrie went out against. Uh, but that that big steal in the scoop, I mean, just that a play like that just can turn a game around. I mean, and, and they have a lot of those guys. The Greek freak is, and I'm calling him the Greek freak because I can't pronounce his last name. <laughs> but is is he he's on t- he's he's Ben Simmons on uh, you know on steroids. He is absolutely phenomenal. He can do everything. And what I like about the Bucks the most, right, is what you see is they're still playing Zeller at, at center, and they have uh, um, uh, Henson spelling him. But once they go over, let's say let's say they make it to the finals, or, or, or they get further along, they can push him to the five. And put Jabari Parker now into that lineup, giving him a more of a small ball, but a big. Yeah. I mean, Jabari Parker six ten, and he's a three. You know, so but he plays like a smooth two guard. Yeah. So you have these big guys that are smooth, can stretch the floor. I mean, this Bucks team, watch out, uh, Ira. I don't think a lot of people respected the Raptors as a one seed. I think some of those people are in this room. I might be one of them. <laughs> they went up two nothing in the series. But Washington never saying die, and John Wall is a superstar. What do you think is going to happen here in this two-two uh, Raptors Wizards well, series? It's so great that three of the series are now two-two. Yeah. I mean, I, I, this this first round has been just exciting. I mean, I, again on this series, I saw Toronto go up two-zero. I'm thinking, well, take one in Washington. No, Washington hung in there and uh, amazing. It was the yesterday's game was interesting because Bradley Beal with five minutes to go fouls out of the game, and the whole mm-hmm. dynamic has been that Beal and Wall are their two superstars. But then Beal fouls out. And Walden plays amazing. He scored uh, the final uh, six points. He had 27 points, 14 assists. And then the Raptors were like what the Raptors are. DeRozan and Lowry could not, did not make the shots they needed at the end of the game. It's almost Wall and Beal are better than DeRozan and Lowry. Yes. And then when yes. when Beal gets out of the game, Wall was just a superstar John Wall. So it's this this series could go either way. I, all three of these, I, I look, look, I think the Cavs have the favorite you know, over the Pacers. Mm. But um, certainly Boston, Milwaukee, Toronto, Washington – Looks like seven game series. They just go down to the yeah. last possession. Sean, I know you like John Wall. What uh, do you think's gonna happen here? He's a video game. I mean, literally that uh, that first dunk. 
I, I know we've, I've, you've seen the highlights. He had two dunks yesterday that were so violent. And it wasn't even like it was violent attacking the rim because it was, you know, he's on a fast break. He dunked over power forwards and centers with such authority. And he does it on both sides. I mean, he led the team in steals. He had three steals. Um, he's such a high-energy guy. And I remember, you know, going back when he was out uh, for, I think he was out for like four to five weeks, and uh, Gortat had said, oh, we're playing like a team, this and that. So there was, mm-hmm. you know, that he sent out the, the eyes looking emoji um this team will live and die by john wall you know are they a good team without him but i just think the way that he's playing the way that beal really stepped up when he was gone and showing hey i can be the guy too um i i honestly think the wizards are going to take uh uh, this series and i think they win it in six all right well let's uh let's move out to the west this may be the most intriguing first-round series to me. I'm talking about Thunder and Jazz. They're going to square up tonight at 1030. Uh, Utah does lead that two games to one. You want to know why it's intriguing for me? One, because I don't like Russell Westbrook. <laughs> and two, because I love young teams that overachieve. Utah's up two to one here, Ira. What do you think's going to happen here with OKC and well, the Jazz? As, as, the, this series has then filled both your comments. It really has. Because Westbrook has been terrible. These are the yeah. worst games I've seen him play. He was Last night he was 5 for 17, 14 points. He took no shots in the fourth quarter. He had eight turnovers. Carmelo Anthony was a disaster. He's not playing great. And Paul George in game one at 36 points. But then he was 6 for 21 in the next game for 18 points. I mean, he's not playing great. They have these superstars. I was thinking that Carmelo Anthony was going to come and show, okay, I have this in my reserve. I'm going to have a 30-point game. I haven't seen it. Paul George has had that one great game, and Russell has been just totally out. The fact that Ricky Rubio is out playing him. Ricky Rubio had a triple-double on him. And I just think that was just an amazing game. Watching in Utah and the fans, I've been to that arena a number of times. It's probably the loudest arena in the NBA. Really? So it's just, it's and the fans are into the game, and Mitchell and Rubio are tremendous, and Gobert is neutralizing Steven Adams uh, in the center. And so... Right now, Utah looks like they're the favorite to win the series. As much as I thought Oklahoma City would come through with this, but Westbrook, this is these are what's so interesting about these playoffs is it defining. If Russell Westbrook does not win this series, this is forget about the MVP next year. He's going to be the MVP, but he has not had playoff success, and this is a lot of pressure on him. And he he's showing that he can't handle the pressure. You know, as we go on, he's also showing that he's. I don't know. I don't want to say hothead. He's worse than that. I don't want to use the word on the radio. Got the quote, I'm going to shut that bleep off next game, talking about Ricky Rubio. <laughs> Why don't you win a series? You know what I mean? Do something. Instead of making fun of Ricky Rubio dropping a triple-double in your face. Sean, what do you think here? I know you're on the jazz train too, right? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, and it's it, to be honest, it's really not surprising. Um, we've kind of seen this from OKC all year. It's 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 very up and down. Um, I think Gobert is the defensive player of the year again. Um, Donovan Mitchell is an absolute super stud. I did not see Ricky Rubio doing what he's doing right now, um, but it, it's 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 fantastic, and uh, I, I think it's great for Utah Jazz fans, as Ira alluded to. I mean, great fans, super loud in that arena. Um, but what we're seeing, we're seeing Carmelo Anthony not being what they brought him there to be. They brought him there to be Olympic Mellow. Don't touch the ball. We're going to pass it to you. Hit an open shot. He's shooting 32%, I think, on the series. Um, averaging about 13 points a game. Uh, Paul George is, I, I think, playing phenomenal. But R- Russell Westbrook, what he's showing is that he can't be the leader. That he can't he can't drive the bus. He could be on the bus. He's, a, he's, a, he's an integral part of the bus. But he can't drive the bus. Um 
And it's kind of sad because I think that, let's say Paul George, who was able to drive the bus when he was with the uh, Pacers, he he does feel okay. This is Westbrook's team. Yeah, he does. But at some point, you know, we, you have to step up and say, "Hey, you know, just get out of the way. Let me do this, and let me be your Durant to your Westbrook." I don't think he, it's a one year deal. I think he's just going to walk away and well, I think wipe his hands is, yeah. of this. You know what yeah. I mean? Like this was kind of a mistake for me type type of thing. Ira, let's go on. The Warriors, Spurs. This is the most or one of the most lopsided at three to one. Everything's been you know pretty fair so far. You giving the Spurs a chance to come back here? Not giving it a chance for them to come back. It's been a weird series. Curry's been out. Uh, Greg Popovich hasn't coached the game because of the unfortunate loss of his wife. And it's just, I, I like, though, I think Golden State, I like what they did. They brought Jamal McGee in. They brought Andre Iguodala. They put him on in, term, in the starting lineup. Livingston is now coming off the bench playing great. They shortened their rotation a little bit. And... Yeah. They played three good games, and they and the fourth game they lost yesterday, but it was close. I thought they played hard. I expect them to close that series out. Yeah, Sean. I mean, can you make a case for uh, San Antonio? Uh, is Kawhi Leonard playing? No. Okay. Move on. <laughs> uh, the other game you're going to get to see tonight. This happens at eight o'clock on TNT. It's Rockets versus Timberwolves. I really like the Rockets going into this, guys. I still do. Ira, it's two to one. Think the Timberwolves have a chance here. I don't know if they have a chance, but I, I haven't been, been as high on the Rockets as everybody else has been no, on. Yeah, you have. And, and they they looked, at, because they were on such a roll, and people said, oh, they can't lose. I know Max Kellerman on ESPN said, well, they haven't lost all year when all their players are healthy. Um, but Wednesday night, Harden shot two for 18, one for 10 from threes. Um, there have been 16 for 52 uh, from threes in game two. I mean, they're just missing shots. Uh, I don't think Minnesota's played well. I thought if Minnesota played well game two, they would have won that game. They played terrible themselves. I just don't I'm not Minnesota did come together they did play a good strong game 3 but I just I don't like from going forward I think Houston's now getting bogged down they're not getting the open looks for the threes mm. it's getting tougher Harden's getting it's it's funny you have Harden Westbrook and Durant who all were together on one team mm. and they're all now trying to find their own path to get to the finals on separate teams it's interesting to see which one's going to I mean Durant has already done it but certainly it's a challenge for Harden and he has to he cannot shoot he cannot be the superstar he is and be the MVP MVP of the league and shoot two for 18. Impossible. Sean, you absolutely love the beard. James Harden. They're taking this series, right? Yeah, I think they are. I think, you know, Minnesota, look at, I mean, look at the roster. I mean, they're, they're great starting five. Uh, it's not surprising that they're competitive. I think when you, when you go back to, to game three, um, the Rockets were really, I think they had nine turnovers in the second half. Um, uh, Minnesota hit 15 of 29 threes, uh, so more than they average, uh, you know, for the season. So, you know, I want to say it was an anomaly or anything, but Minnesota's a good team. Houston's the better team. I think they'll close it up. Only one series is over, gentlemen, and that's going to be Portland and New Orleans. Um I don't think a lot of people really saw the end. I mean, nobody we, saw this yeah, coming. We, if you told me they were going to sweep, <laughs> you're lying. Oh my god! Ira, did you think that New Orleans had a chance to not only win but go in and really just decimate the Blazers? Well, New Orleans is a team that had a lot of players that were injured that didn't really play together. One of the contests where they haven't really were healthy all year, and suddenly they're healthy. And Damon Lillard of the, if I could say who the loser of this playoffs yeah. is, it'd be Damon Lillard. Damon Lillard, a lot of people have his first team All NBA. He made the All Star game this year. He's this elite player. He played horrendous. He shot 35% for the playoffs. He was turning the ball over left and right. He 
McCollum was a better player on the team, CJ yeah. McCollum. And but when you start when you watch the game, it's like almost the the Blazers were tailor made for New Orleans because they don't really have a big guy to stop Anthony Davis. And Rondo and Drew Holiday are big guards, whereas McCollum and Lillard are small guards, so they dominated. So when you look started watching the series, it and the, and Portland made no adjustments. That's why their coaches no. probably didn't get fired in the next day or two. But they, that's what. And then Mirosic. And also, a lot of these playoff teams, look at what they did. They were able to make some adjustments with players. Chicago Bulls gave away Nikola Mirosic. Just throw him away for nothing. Mm. He comes on. He's amazing. He's a 6'9 guy, draining threes, playing hard. He's the perfect compliment. When DeMarcus Cousins went out, Mirosic stepped into his place, and he's now hitting the threes. Yeah. So... Everyone has jumped on the New Orleans bandwagon. Everybody thinks they're like now amazing. I'm putting the brakes on. I think Golden State's <laughs> still going to handle them because I think this Portland team was definitely was just tailor made for New Orleans to be. Great, great points, Sean. What about you, Pelicans, Blazers? I mean, the only sweep we saw. Yeah, well, I, I didn't expect this. Um, I okay. If you go back, the way Davis was playing towards the end of the year. He was starting to get some MVP buzz. They were like, hey, we got to look at this guy because he was playing phenomenal. You brought up Damian Lillard um, as you know the player in this series that uh, was the biggest loser. Well, I'll give you a player that was, the, the, in my opinion, the actual biggest loser, and that's Boogie Cousins. I mean, the way they were playing when they were playing together, it just didn't seem like it, it worked. He left, and I mean, Anthony Davis carried this team all the way to the playoffs to a first-round series upset against a very good Trailblazers team. I mean, this is a team that that what went seven games with Golden State uh, mm-hmm. about a year or two ago. I mean, so this is not still a young team, but a very good team, and the way the Pelicans dismantled them, and when you go back and you look, what Anthony Davis had a 46-point night. I mean, 11, four, 14 yeah. rebounds, whatever it was. I mean, when when you watch him play, he's different. He's hitting threes. He's driving to the basket. Nobody can guard that guy on the floor because um, he can he can play in the post. He can bring it out. Um, so can I see them having success? I, I'm not saying they're going to go to the finals or anything like that, but you're, we're starting to see once you get to the playoffs who superstars are and what they matter to their team. 748, Iron Sports, 95.9, True Oldies Channel, Mike and Sean. We are here as well. Uh, guys, we got to get into it. This NFL draft. I love the draft. I'm a big draft guy. This draft is going to be awesome. I, I just have, I think so much is going to happen on Thursday night, movers and shakers. Hopefully, Woo! my Giants trade down. Let's talk about it. Let's run through our top 11. And usually you do a top 10 list, but the Miami Dolphins pick at 11. So let, we'll go ahead and throw them in as well. Ira, you're up first. Cleveland will be on the board. Number one overall. Who's, what poor kid's life do they ruin? <laughs> <laughs> Josh Allen, I think I think they like Josh Allen for some I, I reason. I agree. I think they. That I keep hearing that it's so windy in Cleveland. It's, I've been to Cleveland Stadium. It is windy, so mm-hmm. they like his arm strength. He has the strongest arm. Um, I feel like that's going to be the pick. What about you, Sean? Who's Cleveland taking number one? I think it's Sam Darnold. I said it before. I'll say it again. Um, I just think he fits that team in terms of what he can bring to an organization. Josh Allen, as much as I love him, as much as he's improved, I mean, he's improved his draft stock more than anybody. Um, Without a doubt. And I, and I, I don't care about the inconsistencies or the accuracy, I, I mean, uh, that he he showed in college. I mean, he had no NFL talent on his team. Um, you know, he was a 57% uh, passer in college. Brett Favre was under 60%. Matthew Stafford was under 60%, and their careers turned out pretty good. Um, so I just think... The safest pick. And the Browns have to nail this pick. If they're taking a quarterback, number one, they have to nail it. And there's still too much uncertainty in Josh Allen that I do believe Darnold's the pick. 
uh, Ira, number two, we won't do. I, I want the Giants to trade down desperately, but you know, for uh, argument's sake, let's say the Giants pick number two. Who do you think the Giants should take? I think the Giants. I think the Giants. I think have to trade down. I think because yeah, I think do. that, and when I when I say trade down, they're going to trade to like five. Like I don't the think Broncos, they, I, yeah. I think they go back to the Broncos, and I because and I think then they, I just think they go back to the to the, the other options like a twelve. Yeah, and then the know? Broncos go yeah. and pick Darnell or pick Mayfield. I think that's where it comes up. I, I just don't think you pick a quarterback, and they're not going to drop way down the draft, and they're going to get like three other draft picks. You saw what Trubisky trade last yeah. year with the Bears. They got they just moved up two slots and and were able to get a. The, the Jets just gave up four picks to move up three slots to not even know who they're who, not even know who. They're getting there. Unbelievable, Sean. If you're the Giants, who do you like? Saquon Barkley. And 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 the reason why I say this, and I was talking to Ira before the show started. Um, when you have an aging quarterback, who all indication is, I mean, they, they didn't trade Odell. Uh, they went out and got a left tackle. The moves that they're making are saying, "Hey, we got a quarterback, and we can win now." They spent all that money on defense. They got rid of their bare character guys. They still think at 37 years old, Eli has one or two years of championship level play in him. Now, what's the best thing to an aging, diminishing, skilled quarterback? The best running back in 10 years. The best running back that we've seen in a very long time. John Elway didn't win a Super Bowl until Terrell Davis showed up. Peyton Manning went to Denver. They had a great defense and a phenomenal run game. We looked at Drew Brees last year where they had some down years in uh, in New Orleans. They already had a guy in Mark Ingram. They went out and got a dynamic playmaker in Alvin Kamar. And look, they won 12 games. Very so you put the best player in this draft who happens to be a running back, who's a quarterback's best friend, and, and he let's blocks see what and catches balls on top of just being he does a good everything. runner. He does. And I don't want to see that happen because I don't fan. want to. As I'm decked out in all my Cowboys gear right now, I don't want to see him go there. But I, it has to be the pick. It, Ira, the most intriguing move so far before the draft has to be the Jets. Like I, he, you traded from six to three, you gave up a, a half a dozen picks this year and next year to do it. You don't even know what's going to be available at three. We know who's going to be be available for you. Who are you taking if you're the Jets? I think they're going to take Josh Rosen from UCLA. I think his mindset fits the Jets. I, I, he seems yeah, I to so want, in talking in his conversation, he wants to go to the Jets. I think the Jets want him. I think he's not, I don't think he's going to, I don't think no one's trading up to get Josh Rosen. And I think they, I think the Jets might have got lucky on this. They actually traded up to where they needed to be and they're going to get the player they want. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I don't think the Giants are taking Rosen. I think they're Darnold. If they're going in, they're going with Darnold, I think. I mean, if, if he's there. Sean, what about you? Jets are obviously going QB for trading, you know, eight picks to move up three spots. Who do you like here? Baker Mayfield. Uh, All day, seems every the- day. And the reason why I think that they did trade to three is because they knew he was going to be there. Because he's not going to go to the Giants. That's my he's, only. And no one's going to trade up to the two spot to give up that type for a, a six foot one quarterback with with the character concerns um, that that he uh, possesses. But I mean, you talk and you listen to these NFL evaluators. I mean, the guy's the real deal. If he was six foot four, he's the number one quarterback. That, that's it. He, he uh, I agree. He, he, his, his completion he's percentage. He's dynamic. He's a leader. They he's did. A I, I was watching ESPN, and they were they were doing uh, Russell Wilson has a new show, QB to QB, and then QB to are running back. So he's talking to all these prospects, and he said he's like, it's so funny where they talk about oh, he, like yo, he he has to move in the pocket to throw through lanes. And Russell Will, Russell Wilson said to him, he's like, he's like, we've been the same height our whole career, so it's not new to us. <laughs> you know, it might be new when we get to the NFL because you know for for Why those. Evaluators, because it's yeah, I'm coming in. I'm only six one, but we've been doing this our whole lives. We know how to do it. So you know where Russell said, "Hey, you know, I did reach out to Drew Brees and I talked to him and all this stuff because those are the molds that are in. He's not the athlete that Russell Wilson is, and he doesn't have the arm talent in the deep throws that Drew Brees does. But I will say 
He is a playmaker, and he shows a lot of traits of both those guys. The accuracy of Drew Brees, the touch and the mobility of Russell Wilson, and watch out, New York, because you're going to love that kid. I, I happen to, I'm in the same camp as you, and I really think that, it, that they want Baker Mayfield. It, it's the only thing that makes sense to me with the trade, knowing that Rosen, Arnold, and, or Darnold, and Allen could be gone. Yeah. It's like this it is just a, makes too much sense that he's yeah, the pick there. I, I don't know. I, I just don't like I think that Baker Mayfield is their pick, and— as a Giants fan, Jets hater, doesn't bother me. Cleveland comes up number four, Ira. And this is where it gets interesting. Who would you take if you're Cleveland with their second pick in the top four? Well, then they I bet, then they go pick Barkley. Then I think they pick Barkley. Yeah, if, if he's there, obviously. So I think that's what – I think they go back and they pick Barkley. What about you, Sean? I, I, I kind of know where this is going to go. Well, I'm going Bradley Chubb there. Yeah. Uh, and the reason why I'm going Bradley Chubb is we just saw the Philadelphia Eagles – pretty much coast uh, 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 through NFL teams with a dominant D-line. We've seen the Rams do it. We saw the Giants win Super Bowls with it. You had the number one pick in the draft last year, Miles Garrett, who really turned it up. He, he panned out. To, yeah. to the end of the year. I know he came in, he was hurt. Bradley Chubb is not the same guy, but what he is, he's a constant motor guy, stays healthy, um, past two seasons, over 10 sacks each year. I mean, college production, uh, you, you, when you look at him and you put the tape on, he's a different kind of guy. And uh, to have those two guys as your, uh, as your ends, I mean, look out for the, the, the teams in the NFC uh, yeah, the, North. A, yeah, the AFC North is going to have a lot to deal with. If that pans out, I, I can see that happening as well. He's NC State, correct? They've got, a pretty N- good, State, yeah. they've got a pretty good track record of putting defensive ends into the league. Number five, Ira, this might be the most intriguing pick. It, it's, it's Indy. I mean, Denver at five. All the quarterbacks are going to be gone, except Mayfield's here on your board. Who do you like for Denver? Well, at five? I think Denver. I think Denver likes Mayfield, so I would think that they took Baker, Baker Mayfield from Oklahoma. That would be their the pick. It's going to be interesting to compare these next week and see who is right and wrong. <laughs> um, Sean, what about you for Denver now? Well, obviously, because since we're not doing trades, so but but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, too, I think Denver looks at Josh Rosen, and and especially too a guy like John Elway, who's a GM, he's a Hall of Famer, he's been there, he's done that. Josh Rosen is the most complete NFL prospect right. He's his the most ready. Footwork is perfect. He can make every single throw. His his, so his knock is, is injuries. Yeah, all right, and it's, he has two concussions. Okay, and he had a hurt shoulder. But then they bring in oh well because he he has his own voice right. So we've already seen how the NFL doesn't like for these guys to think. They want them to be football <laughs> players and meatheads. They don't want you to have a an outside life and have other interests. Um, I don't want my quarterback. I want Peyton Manning. Of course. But what I will say about Josh Rosen is, I mean, they they ask a question: Does he love football? He wouldn't have played behind that offensive line and gotten hurt all those times. And he had a quote, too. He said, I wouldn't be out here getting my butt kicked if I didn't love football. Um, because when you did watch, I mean, he was he was on the move a lot because they did not have a lot of NFL talent on that UCLA team. Um, and when you talk to players, when they said he first came in because he did give the vibe that he was a cocky guy. Well, guess what? He's been the number one quarterback since he was 14 years old, coming all the way in, goes to UCLA, five-star number one prospect. He has to have that chip on his shoulder. He has to walk into a building saying, I'm the best guy here. I mean, we look at Aaron Rodgers. Is Aaron Rodgers the nicest guy in the world? No, but they do he's the best quarterback the on the planet. Yeah, so the I don't care about that. Denver goes out. They get their future quarterback, a true franchise-changing quarterback in Josh Rosen. I like my laid-back quarterback. What do you think Eli Manning does on a Saturday night? This is us marathons? I mean, this is, that's the quarterback that I want. Um, <laughs> Indianapolis traded down from three to six, Ira. What do you think they're doing here? I, can I deviate and give my analysis of my salaries right here for a sure. second? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Why I think the quarterbacks have to go first is that back in the 2009-2010 to 
Stafford and Bradford got 72. There was no salary cap for quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. So the court, I mean, for any draft choices. So they could pay whatever they wanted. And that's why they got yeah, 72 and 70, a pay scale of 72, 76 million. Now there's a, a pay scale in that goes, it's about seven or $8 million. So you can lock your quarterback, you get the right quarterback for about five years. You can lock them up for about mm-hmm. seven, eight million dollars. And if you look at the pay for the quarterbacks now, Jimmy G uh, from San Francisco gets 37 million, Stafford 25, Carr 25, Flacco 25, Luck 24, Breeze 24. You get about 16 quarterbacks around 22 million dollars a year now the tra- quarterbacks that were drafted the last couple of years Goff is at seven million Wentz at seven million Trubisky at six million so you're having these elite quarterbacks you don't want the 22 you know you have your quarterback you want so that gives you 15 million dollars more to spend on anything else you want that's if, four starters four starters and if you get lucky and you have uh Dak Prescott at seven hundred twenty five thousand dollars a year that Boom. gives you a now 21 million it's like another team that you possibly have <laughs> and then we talked about we joked about Nathan Peterman for the Buffalo Bills when they put him in they pay they him six hundred thousand dollars a year if Peterman hit and he was great and I knew he threw five interceptions for the Bills last year it was a disaster of a game but if he was great they would it would give them an extra twenty million dollars to spend on yeah. money somewhere else. So I think and they that, got rid of Tyrod anyways. So it, it's to me. <laughs> yeah. um, whereas the running back position, Le'Veon Bell gets paid. <laughs> Le'Veon Bell gets fifteen million, and McKinnon gets ten million dollars. So the idea is that you can pick up running million. backs. I think that you're not getting the savings. So you're paying a running back, say, $7 million yeah. a year. The, if you, um, Saquon Barkley is going to get $7 million a year. That's not much less than what the second or third highest paid running back so in the league is. So you're not really saving money yeah. by drafting a running back. So I think Barkley's great. I think he's phenomenal. But I do think he's going to drop because I think the quarterbacks have got – if you're going to – you've just got to draft the quarterbacks early. They're too much for savings. So what do you think about Indy here at, at six with the trade down? I like Minka Fitzpatrick a lot yeah, from Alabama. When you talk to Nick Saban. Nick Saban likes his players. He talks about his players. Boy, he talks about Fitzpatrick a lot. He is always talking about him with with this reverence that he has not had for any other player. I I really like Fitzpatrick, and I think he's the safety for uh, for for Alabama, and I think he would be perfect to first. And it's not like we haven't seen uh, you know other Alabama safeties come in and do pretty well right off the bat there, Landon Collins. I love that pick. I, I think Fitzpatrick is going to be a superstar in this league. Sean, what do you like at uh, six for Indy? I, I had a few guys that I penciled in there um, for defense, but Andrew Luck hasn't thrown a pass in, what, two years? Nelson. He's got a surgically repaired yeah, shoulder, he... I think, two times. He got he gets hit way too much, all right? The number one overall rated player in this draft, if it's not Barkley, let's call it 1A, 1B. That's Quentin Nelson, the guard from Notre Dame. We got to keep our franchise quarterback yeah. who, when he's on the field, they're a 10-win team. When he's not, we see what happens. I know there's massive problems on that defense. Well, guess what? Peyton Manning didn't have the best defense ever. And they're he one of the most 12, devoid 13. of talent teams in the league. Exactly. But guess what? Yeah, Once one you receiver put, is not going to win. And when you, put, when you put Andrew Luck on that team, it in, instantly elevates everybody else. We, we saw we saw that with Peyton Manning. I mean, they had consistently the worst run defense, I think, for a three-, four-year stretch. Every but year. they were still winning 12, 13 games. So... How do we keep him healthy? We put the best player in this draft, Quentin Nelson. The guy's an absolute monster. What's the quote about him being a, being a lock? If this if he if this guy's not a lock, then there's never been a, such a thing as a lock. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's it was. how high they are in this guy. It's just so unsexy taking a guard, especially in top ten. I think that a lot of people, a lot of the intelligent fans in Indy, would be thrilled with it. And I can see a lot of fans burning jerseys outside the stadium after that because who takes a guard type of thing? I'm all about it. I'd be fine if the Giants traded the five and took him. I see, dra- I see mock drafts where the Giants took him. 
I, I too, plays I've him next to Soldar, too. I've seen that, too. That's how good he is. That won't happen. Um, Tampa Bay, Ira, they're going to be coming off the board at 7. This team's got uh, not as many holes as some of the teams before them. Who would you take as Tampa? Well, I think we're, we're the same players are sort of in that mix where I think that everybody you were saying well Jameis Winston would need someone like Quinton Nelson to protect him. I mean, there you all. So I think that you're going to start to see a run, even though I don't know some of the, the the they're not. It's not the best draft for tackles and guards. No, but not at all. Teams have invested so much in these quarterbacks, and they don't want injuries, and they want to give them time to throw. That I think now you're going to start to see some of those offensive linemen either going to be defensive defensive linemen. Fitzpatrick sort of is out of the box because he's so amazing and such an amazing mm. player. But I do think that they would probably take Nelson or uh, as a guard. You know what changed all this? I think especially this is a, a talent avoid offensive lineman draft, anyways. But the the Eric Fisher Luke Jockle drafts where oh. it was just it, there was three years in a row where you've seen <laughs> two or three tackles go top six. And what was it, like a 2% hit rate? We had DJ Fluker was one of them. Now he's on the Giants playing right guard. I mean, <laughs> these guys don't pan out that often. That's why with Nelson, I'm a little excited because everyone does consider this guy a knock out of the park. Um, Sean Tampa. I, I, every mock that I've seen, it's this guy's name. Um, when you look at the team, they just brought in JPP um, from the Giants. They've solidified that line. Their linebackers are phenomenal. The offense side of the ball, outside of a running back there, I mean, if Barkley was on the – I mean, he'd, he'd be the pick. But, um, you know, since Doug Martin has since moved on. But every mock draft literally I've seen has this guy penciled into him. Duran James, the safety from FSU. Yeah. He can play every single uh, uh, spot. He's the closest thing to Jalen Ramsey, and guess what? He he learned from Jalen Ramsey. Yeah. Um, you know, so he had a down year only because of injury. He got hurt in 2016, so coming back last year, uh, shaking the rust off. But he does special things. He he really reminds me of Jalen Ramsey. But outside of where Jalen Ramsey did play that safety, that floating roamer uh, kind of for FSU, then uh, Jacksonville pushed him out to corner. I don't think James will go to corner. I I do think he'll stay in that free safety. Uh, uh, um, and in the box, they'll bring him in the box. But Derwin James is my pick for Tampa. 803, it's Iron Sports, 95.9, True Oldie Channel. we got to speed up here, guys. we got about five minutes left to go. Ira, Chicago. This team needs a lot. There's a lot of holes on the Bears. Who are you taking? Best athlete available. I, I, if you, anyone watched the college football playoff, that was seen Rakeem Smith for Georgia was just all over the place, running Real around, cool. yeah. making tackles. I thought he was the most dominant player. Uh, I think that the Bears, it's sort of the linebacker. They're, they're they mystique. always yeah. they yep. need that. I think they would go for someone who's going to be. I, I, I like them. They say like, like the motor. Rakeem Smith's motor was always on, and he played great for Georgia. In a lot of the trade downs that I see, it's the Giants taking him at yeah. pick twelve or eleven if he's still there. Uh, Sean, what about you? For well, sure? we know that. One won't happen because you don't draft linebackers. Uh, that was Jerry Reese. <laughs> All right, Chicago. I alluded to it. When you think Chicago, you think linebackers. I will not go with Smith, even though I think he's phenomenal. Tremaine. I'll go with Tremaine Edmonds uh, because, simple because of this. He's 19 years old, and he has 200 uh, uh, tackles seasons at 19 at Virginia Tech. He's an absolute freak beast. Um, his 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 athletic ability is is greater than Smith. I think Smith's the better leader, uh, but only because he's, he's he's a few years younger and just because, I mean, he's just a physical specimen, so I'll put uh, uh, Trey in there. Ira San Fran at nine. Um, it would be too early, but I think they need a wide receiver to go with Jimmy G. And Calvin yeah. Ridley from Alabama, another superstar player. He was amazing. He's clearly the best wide receiver in the draft. People have him going down further, but I think San Francisco, they're, they want to, they're Shanahan, they, want, they want to have an explosive offense. 
That draft a little early. Draft the guy if they can't trade down, get the guy that's one that's going to fit in that lineup. They don't have those great wide receivers. I think they need. Them. I agree with you wholeheartedly that this is going to be offense, offense, offense. First three rounds from San Fran. They're going to get a lineman to protect Jimmy. They're going to get a receiver to protect Jimmy. They're going to do whatever they can. They just spent thirty-seven million dollars a year. They're going to do whatever they can to keep this guy upright. And they have an offensive-minded coach. So. Of course, yeah, they want to be airing the ball out. I'm excited for this team, Sean San Fran. Um, only because they have a hole here, and I and I do agree. I thought about Kevin Ridley here, but it is too early for a wide receiver. The value is just not there. There's very a lot of depth in this wide receiver. The top of the draft is not so great for wide receiver, but there is depth. I'm going to go with Minka Fitzpatrick because he's still on my board. Uh, they don't have Eric Reed anymore. They need to fill yeah. that spot, and who's better candidate than Minka Fitzpatrick? Oakland's going to be picking at number 10, Ira. What do you like at 10? I think Oakland has to go with offensive lineman. Their, their offensive line last year was a disaster. I know with Gruden in that they want a, probably a sexier pick, but they need to protect Carr and, and that's what they're so Colton Miller or someone like that. I, they're again another reach, but I think they have to go offensive line. I don't mind reaching at you know, when would the be, teams would reach be, at yeah. five, it's one thing. When you reach at 13 for a guy that's going to go 18, if he's your guy, he's your guy. Colton Miller's an offensive lineman for UCLA, yeah. So that, uh, that, yeah, right, right in the same neighborhood. Sean Oakland. Best corner in the draft because their secondary is where they lack. They have good linebackers, they have great uh, D line. Denzel Ward. Cornerback OSU, he is the closest thing to a shutdown corner in this draft. He's the number one consensus cornerback. Oakland desperately needs to help out uh, those corners. They invested a first-round pick in Conley from Ohio State last year, another one-year starter. I know this guy's a one-year starter, but his pro comparison is Adam Adam Pac-Man Jones. And that guy, outside of him being a knucklehead, his production on the field has been phenomenal. How those Ohio State uh, cornerbacks working out for the Giants there. You, you, uh, I couldn't uh, tell you about I, I, that. I don't really need him around. Finally, we, we're going to 11 because we're here in South Florida. It's the Miami Dolphins. Another team that needs a lot, Ira. I, I mean, it, there's no, like there's some glaring needs. It's not like as bad as, like I'd say, the talent level of Chicago. But this team has a lot of needs. What do you like from Miami at 11? Well, people like... They think Derwin James might drop to them from Florida State, having a Florida product, and <laughs> whether that matters anything. But he's a great character, high character person, could be a leader on the defense. Um, I think that's something. But I think some of these teams, I think eventually, I think Dolphins are they need players um, where they're they drafting. Need players. I think they trade. This is this is so. This looks like that is that pick. You say the Dolphins have traded their pick. Like I would almost ninety nine percent say they're going to trade this pick because they need more, when you need so many players, mm. you just don't want to draft a player that's okay. You just no, wanna... I, the Giants, you got to trade down. What about you, Sean? Here, what do you think for Miami? Well, I want to pencil in Josh Allen here. But the last time Miami looked at a unproven college quarterback with a big arm, uh, didn't work out too well for him. Uh, and and that? Tannehill. Uh-huh. Um, so you just lost Indomitian Sue. There's a guy in the Northwest by the name of Vita Vea, nose tackle, He's Washington. He's an absolute monster. And I agree with the point that, okay, trade back because we need picks because we need players. You need monsters. You need to hit in the first round the with a guy suit. that's going to yeah. be there for a decade who's gonna, who plays a premier position. And, and, and you already have the a budding defensive line. I mean, you, you have players there on that defense. The defense is not the problem. But when you lose a guy like Indomitian Sue, Vita Vea can, can uh, pressure the quarterback from the inside, something they just lost, and he's also a phenomenal run stuffer. So uh, I think just perfect to put these these two together, Vita Vea. I saw Vea play when I was at the uh, Fiesta Bowl. Penn State played Washington, and he was dominant. He's, he's huge. He's 6'5", 350, and sometimes he looked like there's two people. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're using two offensive linemen on him. How did Barkley handle him? 
Um, well, he ran around. I mean, yeah. <laughs> just completely like Sue. We're just not running up the middle, yeah. which I can see the Dolphins doing that wholeheartedly. NHL. We don't have enough time to really get into it. I'll just I'll go ahead and say, Ira, you you took in some of this uh, so far. I know you're a big uh, Pittsburgh Penguins fan. I love the NHL playoffs. I think it's the best playoff of any sport. This has been the chippiest playoffs I've seen since the 90s. They're letting these guys play, and it's just been phenomenal. If, if you're not watching NHL hockey playoffs, you're doing yourself a disservice, and you caught some of this too. Yeah, I the definitely. I love watching the playoffs, and certainly when you're stuck in an overtime game, you don't want to go to sleep because you want to keep watching the game. Hopefully next week we have a chance to get a, an NHL All-Star. I'm not going to say the name yet because we're working oh. on it, but we might have someone, so we're going to spend much more time talking about the playoffs next week. Is Sean, what about you? What's your, what's your best series so far? I mean, it's tough. I, you just like the Vegas sweep. Right? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I thought that was fantastic. But, I mean, you look at all these games, I, I, all the series. Boston and Toronto has been good. Uh, Columbus and Washington has been fantastic. Even though I know the Preds um, won 4-2. That was a great series. That was a great series. Great series. I mean, even, even the way Philly played Pittsburgh, just the entertainment value That's of that series exactly has been exactly why the— NHL playoffs are so good. They those games were eight to two sometimes. Yeah, it's insane. And it was a great series. <laughs> Just absolutely amazing. Uh, Ira, where are you headed? Um, hopefully on Thursday night for Game Six, Heat Sixers. Hopefully. We'll be rooting for that. We'll be rooting for that as well. We are about out of time. I want to thank Francois Tiafo so much for stopping by here on Ira on Sports. This is 95.9, the true oldies channel. Mike and Sean got you covered as well. Let's talk next Monday night, Ira on Sports.